people, it's your girl, Tasha, the host of Womanhood Decoded, where each week we endeavor to explore the intersections of womanhood, sexuality, and motherhood, and what all of that means. This week, we have an exciting episode, and we are going to be speaking of the book, Weed Mom, and the author is Danielle Simone Brand, and I am just so excited to have you as a guest, Danielle. Welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you so much, Tasha. I'm really happy to be here. Great. I'm so excited. Listen, you know, your book, before I even met you in the clubhouse setting, I had often seen your book because I was often looking four books about cannabis, but for whatever reason, I hadn't purchased it. It was always on my list of things to do. You know how it can be as far as making Amazon lists. Yes, (laughs) of course. (laughs) Once I actually heard more about your story in the group on um, Clubhouse, the audio app, I was just like, I have got to buy the book right now today. But then I looked at my bank account and then I looked at what I had to do. I'm like, oh man, I can't buy it today. I will buy it next <laughs> What happened is um, they always get me with these random internet um, specials that they send to my inbox and I will have money in my account. But then by the time I meet these quote unquote sales, it's like, where did my money go? So it was one of those weeks. <laughs> ah, yeah. Oh, I hate that. <laughs> but thank the following pay period, I had my priorities together. And so I was able to purchase the book. And I actually read it, I would say over the next maybe three days. Um, I stood up, I the first night that I read it, I read almost past half of it because it's that good people. It's absolutely that good. And it's the conversational way that you wrote the book. It really makes you feel as if you are going along for your journey. So I just want to go ahead and delve right on in if you're ready. I am ready. And also I just want to say thank you. It thrills me to no end when I hear people say they enjoyed reading it, that they find it helpful. So um, yeah, I'm super excited to be here. Thank you. Oh, I am just so super excited. So let's get into it. Where did your journey begin as it pertains to the writing process of Weed Mom? You know, so interestingly enough, I've I've not been a longtime cannabis enthusiast. And I wrote this book really because I was pretty new to cannabis about five years ago. I had been exposed here and there. You know, I had tried it in college and, you know, maybe smoked a little bit here and there in my 20s. But really since becoming a mom, which was 11 year plus years ago, um, I was not, it wasn't my wheelhouse. You know, I didn't really understand it and I, you know, mainly stayed away. So with legalization and with increasing um, uh, assignments that I was getting as a freelance writer around cannabis, I really started to delve into these different aspects of it, the, the science of it and the policy part of it and the history and the social justice aspect of it now. And then of course, you know, all the good things it's doing for people. Um, so as I put these things together as, as a journalist and a freelancer, I started becoming really curious and interested for my own consumption. And when I tried it out for the first time as an adult, I say, you know, as like a legit adult, <laughs> um, <laughs> it was such a different experience than I than I knew cannabis could be. It was it was really present and embodied, and I felt well and happy and spiritually connected and connected to my body and all sorts of things. And I thought 
oh my God, I've been missing out on something so helpful. And so I wanted to bring that message to other moms and just start these conversations as much as I could. Well, you have absolutely succeeded in that venture because I'm a voracious book reader, I would say. I got that from my mom. And when I began to read the book, I was just captivated before I even got to the first chapter by just the forward that I was reading made me want to read more and to understand because oftentimes I think the missing piece on this topic especially is we don't necessarily have the correct words to express so that people in our lives aren't worried. I think that's the bottom line when it comes to cannabis is that there is a stigma that's attached that if you um, consume cannabis in any way that you're somehow a mother who isn't prioritizing the health and the um, overall well-being of their children. And so in reading the book, I feel like I was given language to be able to not only educate myself, but to also communicate um, how I utilize cannabis in a way that won't be so off-putting, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it does. And I think that, you know, there's there's such a double standard, obviously, when it comes to alcohol and cannabis. Alcohol is something that is very accepted in, you know, parent culture, mom culture, um, you know, and mainstream society just in general. And it's accepted as a way that parents can relax and, you know, take the edge off at the end of their day, whatever. There's lots of jokes and memes about it. But cannabis is really frowned upon. And I find that really curious because honestly, Alcohol is so much harder on my body and mind than cannabis is. Cannabis supports my wellness and so many other moms in such a way that like the comparison is almost moot. It's like, <laughs> you know, drinking alcohol and I'm not, I'm not bashing alcohol because I think it has its place, but for me, it doesn't feel like a health and wellness tool. Whereas cannabis absolutely does. And I think that that double standard between the two and especially for moms is really sad. Absolutely. Um, I wanted to know what I really also appreciated was your acknowledgement of the disparity as it be as it pertains to people of color that um, would want to consume cannabis because it's kind of like, I don't know, a pop culture sensation at the time, I guess you could say, where it is something that is not really widely spoken about, but it's something that is basically being accepted in various certain little niches of, you know, society. And I feel like as women of color or as a woman of color, um, I often feel like there is hesitancy from people in my peer group to basically emerge from the shadows and say, yes, I do consume cannabis because there is an added complication, especially when it comes to our motherhood, when you put in all of the possible implications and or consequences that can be associated with cannabis. So one of the things that I appreciated in the beginning of your book is you acknowledged that you were aware of that. So what made you include that in your book? Well, it was really important to me to address that, you know, to address the, the issue of privilege because um, it, it's very evident to me that there is a double standard, you know, speaking of double standards between alcohol and cannabis, there's absolutely double standards when it comes to 
white women, especially white middle-class women um, consuming cannabis and and others and, and non-white women, uh, non-white mothers. So it's, to me, you know, it's, it's sad, it's incomprehensible, but it's true. And we need to acknowledge this in order to have good conversations about it. Um, you know, and also just writing about cannabis for a few years before I wrote this book made me very aware of the disparities in the way that the drug war has been carried out. Um, you know, obviously the, um, the majority of people who have suffered the most from the drug war have been people of color. And so this is something that, you know, is an opportunity, I think, in the cannabis industry to right some of those wrongs and to move forward in a better way, in a more inclusive way. But, you know, we can't get there if, we're, if we can't talk about it. Absolutely. So what is one thing that you hope to accomplish in the sale and distribution of your book? Because to me, it came across as being a passion project and not something that you just randomly did. It seemed as if there was a particular segment, meaning mothers, that you wanted to connect with in this book. Am I wrong in that assertion? No, definitely. You are right. Like I wanted to speak to moms in particular. And I think it's because, well, I identify, you know, with being a mom and I can relate to other, you know, other mothers, even, you know, if we have pretty different backgrounds and, and experiences in the world, there's a lot that we can relate on all of us because we're moms. And so, you know, and, and, and also being in a female body, I think there are very particular things that, that cannabis affects, particular ways that cannabis affects us. So, you know, speaking to women, speaking to moms comes very naturally to me. Also, I was a women's studies major in college. So I definitely have always cared about women's issues and women's quality of life and women's empowerment. So, you know, to me, speaking to moms and saying, giving them this empowering message, hey, you can take your health and well-being into your own hands. You don't have to be, you know, worried about the stigmas and the fears of your, you know, family uh, regarding your use of this plant. You can really, you know, take, take control, empower your own life. And so that sort of message is something that means a lot to me. And I wanted to get that across specifically because, this is such a tough time, you know, in so many ways, not just with the pandemic, but if you're a modern mother and trying to balance this, you know, work life and parenting life and me time and self-care and partnering maybe, like all of that is a lot to manage. And I have so much empathy for other moms going through the same thing that I am. So I just think cannabis can help us physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. So let's do this. <laughs> Great. That just makes so much sense. And it absolutely resonates because as an aspiring author, the next question isn't necessarily about your book, but kind of about your process. Um, I feel like others in the audience might benefit from it as well, even though I do know the answer. I'm going to ask the question anyway. <laughs> so when it comes to this particular book, um, did you self-publish? Why or why not? So I didn't self-publish this book. I went through Ulysses Press. Um, I, as a as a journalist, um, I was able to. I had enough writing credits to be able to get an agent and to get a book deal. However, <laughs> I don't want to get anybody's hopes up. Book deals are not extremely lucrative these days. They're hardly lucrative at all. <laughs> all it is is the legitimacy, really, of having a publishing house put your work out into the world. And of course, having the editing process be professional, all that is really wonderful. Um, so, you know, so I did do it that way because I had that access. I was I was able to. 
But I'll, I'll say that it took me years to get there, even as a writer. Um, I wrote another book, an entirely uh, different book that was never published, and I worked so hard on and tried to get an agent for for years and years, honestly, um, and it just didn't pan, pan out for me. But at that point, I pivoted to freelance writing, you know, got into journalism and also essay writing, and that did lead to this writing opportunity. So, you know, it all kind of adds up in there, but it, it certainly was a long process for me. Okay. That is very much encouraging, actually, because, you know, you hear that there are basically a couple different ways to get to having a published book. But so being able to just hear your experience really is something that I find to be motivational. So I really, really appreciate you sharing that with the audience. Yeah, yeah, you're welcome. I, th I think that, you know, this writing path is is not an easy one. But but for those who truly are passionate about words and communication and want to get their ideas out there, there are lots of ways to do it now. And, you know, self-publishing is totally one of them. And I know successful books that have been self-published as well. So I think that, you know, it's it's hard, but it's definitely possible. Right. Absolutely. So if we could just, I guess switch gears a little bit how would you say that you define a canamom in this day and age <laughs> yeah I, mean, I think that really any mom who enjoys or benefits from cannabis um, is a canamom whether that's cbd and thc or just cbd or just thc and you know medical users recreational wellness all those different reasons for consuming i think are totally inclusive in this canamom um, you know, idea, then to me, there is something specific about the cannabis culture that's about responsible consumption as well, you know, knowing like what, when and how and even why we're consuming so that we can really be our best selves for our families and professionally and, you know, for our own needs. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So if you could talk about one way you have used your platform, be it social media or whatever ways that you have at your disposal, how would you say that you have advocated in the space of cannabis or is it something that you do? Yeah, I do. And, you know, it really started um, a, a few months before I published the book because I was really hard at work writing the book and researching it and doing all the interviews. And I, I wasn't spending a lot of time on social media. And then I, I really dove into social media before a few months before the book was published. And so my, my hope, with my presence on social media, particularly Instagram and some Facebook, is uh, kind of threefold. So I want to show empowered Canamom life. You know, I want to show that we can be responsible, conscious, successful women, and love cannabis at the same time. So that's important to me. Um, also, education. I want to talk about the ins and outs of cannabis um, in my platform, and I do that quite a bit in my book. But I, I tease it some in in my social media because. There's just a lot to learn. There's a bit of a learning curve about cannabis, you know, cannabinoids, terpenes, how to consume, all the different ways and options we have now. These are things that I think a lot of people are, are curious about and, and need to know about if they want to become a, you know, a cannamom. And then, then the third thing that I've been doing is making a lot of connections, you know, with other cannamoms um, and with, you know, influencer cannamoms and everyday cannamoms. And then um, promoting the work and brands of people that are doing good stuff. And for me, you know, I do try to 
connect with moms of color and you know women of color in the cannabis space because um, I want to elevate those brands as much as I can, talk about their work because you know we're not dealing with a level playing field here, and so that's a small thing that I can do. Absolutely. And I really appreciate you being an ally and advocate and just the interactions that I've had with you on the Clubhouse audio app. It's as if you actually live what you say. And so I really appreciate your just willingness to be transparent about the various things that you shared in the book, for example, how, you know, even in your marriage initially, weed was or cannabis was something that was a problem that you had to find a way to overcome. And in doing so, you know, you basically got tools to be able to look at it from a different perspective once you were able to navigate that situation in your relationship. So I would like to know, can you speak to that a little bit as it pertains to not necessarily the overuse of cannabis, but how, because basically the parallel is often drawn that, you know, especially in pop culture, that if you smoke weed, that you're somehow a degenerate <laughs> of some type. So, you know, I feel like it's a huge, it's a gamut as far as a sliding scale of how a person can be affected or benefited by cannabis. So I wanted to know if you could kind of speak to what has, what you have experienced in your relationship with your husband, if you would like to, or if you feel comfortable doing so. Sure. Yeah, I'm happy to talk about that. And I, I do talk about some of my relationship struggles in the book. There's definitely a personal element, like you mentioned, <laughs> because, um, you know, I, I wanted to be real with the readers and to not come at this from a, um, you know, from a, a one sided point of view. I wanted to show that I look, I understand that there are risks of overuse, that there are some downsides to cannabis. I have a whole chapter about some of the downsides because um, you know it's better for us to go in with open eyes and, and be aware. I truly believe that um, women in cannabis have maybe a special relationship. <laughs> you know, I mean, the, the flower the, the flower comes from female plants, right? Um, and our endocannabinoid system, especially in our reproductive tract, is really active. You know, women have many endocannabinoid receptors in our, you know, reproductive tract and genitals. And so, anyway, I think that women have a special relationship. That's totally a side tangent. <laughs> but what I wanted to say there is that, um, you know, I, I feel like I, I'm not overusing cannabis, even if I'm using it every day, which I am using it every day because I'm using it mindfully and consciously. But there are ways that we can slip into habitual use. And, you know, I lived with somebody, I still do live with my, my husband who, who had that pattern for kind of a long time. And I looked down on it, actually. I thought like it was getting in the way of his professional goals. And it was, to be honest, because he was leaning on it a little too much. He was self-medicating with cannabis without a lot of awareness around how to do that um, healthy, in a healthy way. So, you know, I just think that, of course, there's a huge spectrum of, of cannabis usage from, you know, completely non-intoxicating side of things on the CBD side to microdoses of THC that may not be intoxicating at all, but enhance your well-being to, you know, bong hits all day long. Of course, there, <laughs> you can do that too, but I don't recommend it. 
Um, so <laughs> I, I guess the point is, my point is that there is a really wide spectrum of use and I'm all about this like conscious, uplifted, responsible use. Absolutely. How do you think we begin to shift the culture as it pertains to how cannabis is viewed? Do you think that there are, you know, any specific steps that we can begin to take? Yeah, I mean, I think that we're deep in that process right now, but that it's, you know, sometimes a little painful or uncomfortable. Um, <laughs> and, you know, and there's there's some backlash. But at the same time, I still think there's a lot of progress going on. Um, you know, if you look at where we were 10 years ago with cannabis and, you know, and moms, I don't think we'd be having this conversation at all, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. Well, I Absolutely. love, yeah. Yeah, I love that. I love that we're moving forward. But I mean, to me, how we can how we can keep doing that is, you know, showing ourselves as high functioning, conscious canamoms, um, having conversations with the people in our lives. Maybe that's on social media. Maybe that's the people we know in real life, our you know friends and family, and and you know business associates, etc. You know, changing minds little by little. I don't think we need to lecture anybody or prove anybody wrong, but just to kind of bring in, weave it in, in little ways that, that normalize conscious and uplifted use. Um, and, you know, talking about how how and why we consume, I think, is good to talk about what it gives us, the wellness aspects of cannabis, because a lot of people are still ignorant of that, I think. Um, and then, of course, the last thing I want to say is we, we need to advocate for legal access for everyone and for freeing the people who are still in prison over cannabis. And there are many. So... There's lots of things we can do. Absolutely, there is. And what you said really resonates with me in my particular journey because I'm at, I guess you could say, I don't know if I'm considered to be a new mom in that my daughter is about to be two, but I sometimes feel like I'm a new mom and other times I feel like I got it together. Today is not <laughs> one of those days. <laughs> you know, so um, my question, I guess, next is, have you noticed that there is a resistance in the wellness space when it comes to cannabis consumption? Yes, there definitely is. I think that there are like pockets of the wellness space that are starting to, that are waking up to this whole world of cannabis wellness because it's, you know, it's real, it's there, it's helping people. Um, but I think that a lot of the wellness world is still kind of locked in this stigma, this long-term, you know, association of cannabis with a stoner lifestyle, I guess, or with a, you know, a degenerate lifestyle, as you said earlier, um, you know, which, which connotes unhealthiness, couch locked, you know, potato chip binging, whatever. Um, and I think, you know, that's just, it's just ignorance. People don't understand that there's, like I was saying earlier, this wide spectrum of use, and there's lots of different ways to benefit from cannabis that don't look like that at all. Um, so yeah, I think it's just, we need to keep talking and educating and, and, and bringing it to people's attention. Like, yes, this is a wellness tool. <laughs> Absolutely. So on that topic, how did your perception of cannabis change once you began to partake as opposed to you being an onlooker of someone that partook of cannabis in your life? Yeah, you know, when I actually experienced elevation, which, you know, I often call it elevation instead of getting high, I just prefer that term. When I experienced that myself, um, you know, with my 
dispensary bought cannabis, you know, first time as an adult, really, I, I realized that like, far from disconnecting me from myself and my, you know, life and my reality, cannabis actually tunes me in so much better. So, you know, and again, it's, it's very much a spectrum. It's about dose. It's a dose dependent sort of thing. You know, a, a microdose or a moderate dose for me can have one effect, but a, you know, a high dose or a heavy dose could have a completely different effect. But when I consume in the right way for me, I just feel more connected, more in tune with myself, my kids, my partner. I just feel like a better, you know, more, I'm not going to say better, but a more functioning and healthy human being. So that's something I just didn't understand before I, I became interested in cannabis as a wellness tool. I just thought of it as like an escape or something you used to check out or something that some people liked to use to have fun. And it's great. Fun is wonderful, but there's so many, there's just so much richness to this plant. It's more than that. Speaking of the richness, you spoke about a little bit earlier about the can, um, can never say that word, the system that <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> has to do with the absorption of cannabis. I can never say that. I don't know why. So what I want to know is, can you speak to what or how it impacts us as women when it comes to our sex organs? Yeah, so it's fascinating. I mean, the endocannabinoid system is all yes, found in the endocannabinoid <laughs> system. I feel like I'm in the remedial <laughs> class trying to say that word. <laughs> you can just say ECS, and, okay. and that, that's that's better. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's it's all throughout the body, and it's like through throughout the nervous system, the peripheral nervous system, um, in our brains, in our gut, and yes, in our reproductive organs um, as women. And the endocannabinoid system is meant to basically bring us to homeostasis, bring us to like that chill, rest and digest, you know, physiologically sound and happy place. <laughs> and mm -hmm. but the thing is that stress degrades our our endocannabinoid system's ability to do that. And you know, we're also chronically stressed because the world is nuts. And mm -hmm. <laughs> and so cannabis almost, you know, there's this theory that it almost acts like a supplement and it brings our system back in the balance. It kind of like spurs your endocannabinoid system to start like, you know, doing its thing and bringing you back to a place where you're not too hungry, not too cold or tired, where you feel good, where you're in a, you know, a good mood. Um, it, it can stimulate sex drive. So, you know, there's lots and lots of ways that, um, that cannabis interacts with our endocannabinoid system. And, and I mean, there are people who study this exclusively and can tell you so much more about it, but that's kind of the, the broad strokes of it. And, you know, and for women, I think for sex, I mean, there are so many great things about cannabis, right? <laughs> Absolutely. I'm a witness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, what do you, what do you find? I'm curious, <laughs> turning well, the table for, for a moment. Yeah. So for me, um, I had a rough transition as far as my postpartum journey. And part of it was because I had an emergency C-section after 37 hours of labor where um, my daughter's head and shoulders, she had a situation called dystocia or shoulder dystocia. So basically 
in previous years, they probably would have dislocated her shoulder or possibly, you know, fractured it so that she could get out, but uh, vaginally. But in my case, they said that they felt like that would cause more damage than it was worth potentially. And then they decided to proceed with the emergency C-section. So long story mm -hmm. short, she was born in January and I didn't have the best postpartum plan. You know, you always hear a lot about, you know, your birth plan and what you need to do and take to the hospital, but there wasn't a lot or enough emphasis put on how I was going to really transition into what motherhood looked like as far as the day-to-day -day logistical side. So what happened to me was I ended up tearing my incision two days after um, I was um, released from the hospital. So that mm. caused another layer of pain and discomfort and basically made me feel like sex was the absolute last thing on my mind because also at the time I was dealing with a low milk supply. So like I said, I was very grateful for the fact, honestly, that I was single and I didn't have to contend with the emotions of a man while I was basically navigating this new space as a mom. I know some people feel like um, when they're married, they have the support of their spouse or significant other, and it can make things a lot smoother. I'm my personality is I like to basically suffer through whatever it is I need to suffer through and <laughs> the other side. And then I can quote unquote interact with people again. And so it was one of those mm -hmm. things where I appreciate it being able to work through that alone. So where cannabis comes in is when I did decide to become sexually active again, um, postpartum, it wasn't until I want to say, um, about a year postpartum, maybe, mm -hmm. uh, could have been 13 months somewhere around her first birthday. And Part of it was because it was the holiday season. The other part was because because it was the holiday season, I decided that I was going to partake in some um, level of relaxation. Now, because I was breastfeeding and I didn't have the resources that I do and have now, I didn't utilize um, THC products. I only used CBD products or CBN mm -hmm. products. And so basically what happened is I decided to start just using lubricant that had CBD in it. And I would just put that on my vulva after like a shower, for example. And for those that don't know, the vulva is basically the outside lips of the vaginal area. And so basically I would just do that and just rub it in, not really in a particular sexual sexual way, but just in a way to where I was basically acknowledging the fact that I still had one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was okay to, you know, be aware of it. Even though I wasn't really interested in using it, I was basically just saying, okay, I know it's there type thing. So basically that was the beginning. And um, it took a couple more months the, of not necessarily using the same strategy, but just inching my way back into feeling sexy again. Because for me, 
you know, I'm smaller stature originally, even though I've had chunkier periods of my life. But when it comes to my postpartum journey, I was really discouraged, especially because it was during the height of COVID. I wasn't, and it was winter, I wasn't able to go outside and exercise because that's my way of exercising. I like to jog and be outdoors. I'm not a gym person when it comes to exercise. So being that everything was closed down anyway, and it's winter, I didn't feel like I could take a newborn outside and go jogging. Mm -hmm. And so therefore I'm in my apartment in um, Queens and I'm horny out of my mind and I feel like <laughs> my body is in shambles. And because mm -hmm. I feel like my body is in shambles, there's a disconnect to my sexuality because while I want sex, I honestly basically felt like no one would want me is how I felt. And I mm -hmm. felt that way because there's such a stigma, I feel like, especially when it comes to social media, about the hashtag snapback. I don't know if you've heard about it, mm -hmm. but it's like, you know, celebrities and different ones that are in the mom space often will show before and afters. They will say, you know, this is six months pregnant and this is six months postpartum. Well, my six months postpartum, like I said, was a disaster because <laughs> in the apartment, I'm unable to exercise. And on top of it, I have the incision that I'm healing from. So my level of mobility is greatly diminished in addition to the fact that I am in my tail end of my 30s. I'm 38. So mm -hmm. for me, the healing process is completely different to what someone in their early 20s might experience. I don't know if that makes sense or if you've experienced anything about that. But mm -hmm. for me, what cannabis did is it was the pathway to pleasure is the best way that I can put it. And once I was able to get relaxed, you know, there's a certain point when you are, as you would say, elevated, or you're in a different state of mind, where you get to have a different state of, I just got to the point where I'm like, you know what, my body is what it is. And if whomever doesn't like it, then that's their problem and not mine. And I don't need to be with them anyway. So I basically got to that way of thinking as a result of uh, an altered state with cannabis. Yeah. And, yeah. And once I got to that altered state, I actually had a phone call and I said, you know, I know I haven't answered any of your calls and messages. But it's not that I don't want to talk. I just felt like I couldn't. I'm now in a place where I can. And again, I felt open and willing and able to do so because I had I was in a different state of mind. And because of that fact, even though I was cognitive of it, I feel like I had more. I was emboldened, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so when I had that conversation, they were like, huh, that's interesting. So when do you want to explore this? new <laughs> found freedom. And I said, no, I don't know. I just know that I am game for, you know, when the mood strikes, I guess. And then they were like, oh, that is so, okay. so interesting. And they were like, okay, so I guess we'll explore that more further. So I hung up the phone and I felt super relieved. I didn't know when it was going to happen, but it was just the conversation that you know, it was out there and at least it wasn't in my mind. So yes, that's my story. When it comes <laughs> to
<laughs> I love it. I love that. I mean, especially the the part about self-acceptance and self-love, you know, coming to terms with your, you know, wh where you were at that moment and your changed body because, you know, pregnancy changes our bodies and motherhood changes us for sure. Um, and it can be hard. The, those postpartum um, you know, a couple of years really can be can be hard in that way. So I, I love how, how you, cannabis kind of gave you that doorway, that window toward self acceptance in your you know new mother body, um, which you know I mean can be absolutely as fit and amazing as pre mother body, but it's still it's 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 your mother body which is changed, right? Absolutely, mine has changed, and then like I said. Um, breastfeeding and the fact that my skin doesn't have the elasticity that it once did. Like I felt like, you know how you have those random epiphany moments. So one time I was getting out of the shower, I think I was probably like eight or so months postpartum. I promise you, Danielle, everything on my body moved like a tidal wave. <laughs> like, what is this? This is not sexy at all. And so what I did in desperation was I called my doula and I was just like, listen, I don't know what needs to happen, but I need for you to somehow help me as far as, you know, supporting me so that I can at least go outside and at least walk around the block. She was just like, well, you know, you can take your daughter with you. I'm like, but it's cold outside. She was like, bundle her up, you know, put her scarf on her hat and, you know, make sure you're bundled up. You can wear her. Then you can, you know, zip up your coat around her. I was like, oh, I can. She was like, yes. And she was just like, when you get your fresh air, you know, you'll probably feel better. And I'm like, okay. And so <laughs> exactly what I did. And because at the time, like I said, everything was still very much locked down and we weren't even supposed to be going outside. So I was getting all of my food and stuff delivered. Mm -hmm. so, you know, um, I just felt like when I stepped outside for the first time holding my daughter, you know, or carrying her or wearing her, she was in my winter coat and her head was poking out, you know, in the little part, you know, where my neck is. I was just like, okay, it's only going to be a couple minutes. Mama just got to get outside. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I held on to the banister, even though there were salt on the steps. And I felt like such a weight was lifted in that moment. And um, yes, that began my journey to from, I guess you could say that eight or 10, I guess that was around 10 months postpartum that I began walking to now where I am 19 months postpartum. And on average, I'm averaging about, um, you know, between five and six miles a day. So I feel like I have found my stride again. I feel like my body is not necessarily where it was. I don't think it ever will be, but I am comfortable in my progress and I'm comfortable also in my sexuality, which was a whole journey that <laughs> helped, you know, to facilitate. Yes, yes, absolutely. I mean, and there's so much we can talk about there. It's, I mean, speaking of the of sex in particular, I think that, you know, that is an area that can really impact the quality of life for moms in particular. The way that cannabis helps so many moms that, that I've interviewed and you know, and you just spoke of your own experience um, with tuning, tuning into our bodies, self-acceptance, self-love, with um, 
you know, letting go of the to-do list and the constantly busy mom brain that, you know, I think most of us can identify with, um, you know, shifting, shifting brain space from working mode or momming mode to, you know, to sex, sexy brain, sexy, you know, juicy energy, all that stuff. Like, I think that cannabis gives women a real boost in, in those areas. Um, and then also, you know, it can help relieve pain for women who still have um, some pain postpartum, as long as they're, you know, it's it's safe and healthy for them to be engaging in sexual activity at that point. Um, you know, if there's some residual pain, cannabis can help there. Um, it could be CBD, it could be THC, it could be topicals, it could be, you know, smoking, but, or, you know, other forms of, of uh, consumption. But, you know, I have a whole chapter on sex and cannabis because I think there are just numerous ways that it can help. And, and so many different moms said similar things to me, like it helped me accept my body. It helped me get in the mood again. It helped me, um, you know, feel like it, it, it actually enhances sensation too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I have found that to be absolutely true because like, I'm not one that has to really do a lot of work once I've decided I want to have sex. Once my mind is into it, then my body kind of follows. Mm -hmm. But what I feel like what this CBD um, lubricant does is it makes things that much more comfortable. And it also makes things more fun somehow because it's like instead of it just being sensitive, it's like the sensation is, I don't know if it's a cooling effect or what really how to explain the sensation, but all I can say is it's a good sensation. That's the bottom line. Right? <laughs> it's a good sensation. And because of that, it's like, you know, you might linger more if you're doing self-pleasure or if you're with a partner, you know, it might, you know, create opportunities for other forms of exploration that you might not have previously thought of just because your body is feeling differently, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yep, absolutely. And yeah, I just think that there, there are a myriad, <laughs> there are myriad ways that, that cannabis really can help. And it doesn't have to be intoxicating, but it, it can be. And, you know, microdosing, moderate dosing can be a real um, mental aid towards sex for, you know, for women who are really caught up in their minds or just having, you know, having a hard time settling in. Um, yeah. So, so many, so many ways and self-pleasure too. Thank you for bringing that up because that is a hugely important part of sexuality that I think if, if people are partnered, they overlook or they, you know, discount, they just say like, Oh, well that's, that's for when, um, you know, my partner isn't available or whatever, but that's not it. Like self-pleasure is a huge part of sexuality and can really enhance our partnered experiences too. Absolutely. I have come to that conclusion, like I said, somewhere in my mid to late thirties. And I feel like that's a whole blessing in and of itself That <laughs> awareness coming to that because um, not to go way off tangent, but essentially in the way I, in which I was brought up, I was taught that, you know, masturbation was not only evil, but it's something that you should avoid. So I had to go through a whole process of deprogramming. And once I got to that other side of that and actually start started to understand and realize and explore my sexuality, I started to realize that, you know, there is, as the children say, levels to this thing when it comes to pleasure. <laughs> And when it comes to sex, and honestly, I feel like in my 20s, I had sex wrong the whole time. 
I feel like the whole time in my 20s, I was so interested in helping the male achieve orgasm that my pleasure was secondary. And I didn't even know it was secondary, you know. Mm -hmm. And so now being in my late 30s, you know, my pleasure is absolutely a priority. And I feel that, you know, utilizing cannabis in its various different ways, for me, I um, use it as a tincture, you know, and I also use CBD in the form of topical use as far as, you know, pain relief and, and inflammation. I also use a vape that is a CBD vape. And I basically use that if, you know, during the day I find myself being anxious or whatever have you or a hard time concentrating, I will utilize a couple puffs of that and I'm able to chill out. And instead of focusing on five or 10 things, I can focus on the one thing that I need to focus in order to meet whatever deadline. So mm -hmm. for me, as like you said, a lot of different ways that you can use, you know, cannabis and it can be absolutely beneficial. Now, I don't want to just leave it there and just say I just use CBD, but primarily during the week, I use CBD primarily and then I will indulge in using a THC um formation, whether it is through flour or through a vape, because I have a THC vape as well. But I usually reserve that for the weekend just because of how my life is structured at this point. You know, so I don't want it to just be thought, you know, oh, she just uses CBD. That's not even cannabis. No, I utilize <laughs> whole plant in its entirety. I just utilize it in different ways at different times if that makes sense. Yes, yes, completely. And, you know, that's what I hope moms understand from partially, at least from reading my book is that there are so many different ways to consume and so many um, possibilities. Um, and, and also, you know, from the days of prohibition, most people kind of still think it's just, okay, you smoke a joint or a blunt, I guess. And that's how, <laughs> that's how you, you know, take in cannabis. And that's one way, definitely. But, you know, we have so many options now. You just named some of them. And the legal marketplace gives us just, you know, so much more choice. Absolutely. So if we get, you know, switch gears really quickly to talking about the differences in how culture depicts a cannamom versus a wine mom versus a pharmaceutical or prescription opioid mom. And why do you think alcohol and prescription mood enhancers are so vastly differently perceived? Well, I mean, I think it comes down to legality, but that is a whole issue in terms of how, you know, how and why cannabis was prohibited. I, and I do go into that in the book and and I know you know that, but I'll say that for your, your listeners that I talk about some of the origins, you know, briefly the origins of prohibition and the, the long history of cannabis human interaction. You know, I, I gloss over it, but I, I do mention it because it's, it's important for, for people to understand that prohibition is this weird little blip in our <laughs> in our shared long history with cannabis and actually it had nothing to do prohibition had nothing to do with public safety with keeping people safe and that it had everything to do with racism and control and power and probably money 
Um, so, you know, so just as a tangent there, cannabis was made illegal for the wrong reasons. But I think that alcohol and prescription drugs, because they're legal, they have that, you know, sanction, that official, you know, go ahead. Even though, if you look at the science of how long-term alcohol use affects the body and how long-term cannabis use affects the body. Now, long-term heavy cannabis use does have some negative effects. That you know, I'll say that for sure, but it's nothing compared to the, the effects of alcohol. And, right. you know, prescription drugs, woof, that is a big subject, but we all know that they have a lot of side effects, mm-hmm. um, right? And affect people, you know, antidepressants, for instance, which a lot of moms, you know, in America do uh, do are prescribed and do take, they can lower sex drive and just really change um, personality and uh, enthusiasm and excitement for life. That's just one example. But anyway, why, 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 why? <laughs> Legality, stigma, you know, smear campaign against cannabis. Like in the in the 1930s, in the 1920s and 30s, when cannabis was, you know, becoming, uh, you know, prohibited or in, in the process of being prohibited, um, there was just a lot of, of anti-cannabis rhetoric going out there. I mean, Reefer Madness is from that era. And it was really influential, as ridiculous as that film was that showed, you know, teenagers getting... Uh, getting high and then becoming crazy and committing crimes and, you know, leading to all sorts of terrible outcomes. Like people, it seems ridiculous, but people believed that. And those sort of vestiges just live on in our culture. We have this, you know, this bias against what we saw as, you know, dangerous and certainly illicit. Absolutely. I really appreciate the breadth of your research in this book and also in this conversation because I feel like it is really bringing about a different level of awareness to my audience. And it is something that has been obviously um, intentionally researched and it's not basically an excuse because that's another thing that I often hear from people that are anti-cannabis. It's like, you all will use any reason to try to make yourselves feel like it's okay when in reality it isn't okay. And just to hear the fact that you've done the research is just like, oh no, there's actual research that, you know, supports (laughs) my opinion and also gives me the freedom to be able to choose. Now, I'm not saying that cannabis is for everyone and for every mom, but what I am trying to communicate is that it is a tool that could be used should you decide to, and then there's various different avenues and forms that you can explore outside of, you know, just consuming a joint or, you know, using a bong, you know, there's all types of other ways that you you can use gummies, for example. Um, And I feel like if people would, or various other types of edibles, like there's other ways of ingesting cannabis. If you are, for example, against smoking for whatever reason that might be, I just feel like that's also an important part of the conversation. Absolutely. Yes. Um, And I talk about different modes of consumption in the book because, yeah, not everybody is going to be into smoking. That's for sure. Um, You know, inhalation has its pros and cons. And there's also different ways to, you know, inhale cannabis, not just smoke, but vape or vaporizers um, where you can use cannabis flower and uh, a machine that vaporizes it. So anyway, there's just tons of, of 
options now, ways to consume, don't have to inhale at all, don't have to smoke at all. You can use tinctures, edibles, you know, microdosed products now are really big. I don't know um, if you have access to any of that yet out there, but you will <laughs> when mm -hmm. your legal marketplace gets up and running. Right. So you just now brought up the keyword microdosing. Can you explain a little bit in depth about what that means and what that looks like? Yeah. So, I mean, a microdose is essentially a very small dose. And um, usually we're talking about THC here because we're talking about the more psychoactive or the psychoactive, the main psychoactive cannabinoid. Um, and what a microdose is really does depend on the person, their experience, their tolerance, you know, the way their ECS works, all that stuff. But um, it just, it, it means a really small dose that doesn't get you high per se, but um, can support your endocannabinoid system to function optimally, can relieve some pain maybe, or just put you in a better mood, um, but but not like infringe on your ability to function optimally. So, you know, that could be parenting, that could be working potentially if you're working from home and, you know, that's something that you're able to do. Um, so yeah, I microdose quite a bit with THC during, um, even during the workday, because I work from home, I have the, the privilege to work from home um, and it helps Activity. It does the opposite of what lots of people think. They think, oh, it makes you lazy and unmotivated and whatever. Microdosing is actually really energizing for me and gives me that like oomph to tackle my emails and, you know, and get get my to-do list done. So it's something that people are talking about more and more these days. And not just with cannabis. There are lots of things you can microdose. Um, but, you know, for, for, for the purpose of, of our conversation, we're usually talking about small amounts of THC. Okay, that is very useful. I wonder if you could share anything as far as, you know, for example, the different strains of flour and how that can affect you. Because I feel like there's also um, a misunderstanding as it pertains to, for example, if you um, consume a sativa, versus uh, a hybrid, for example, and how that can affect you as far as, you know, your functionality. I wonder if you can speak to that. Yeah. Okay. So it's, it's kind of a long conversation. I'll try to make it as short as, short as I can, but you know, sativa and indica are, you know, kind of they're still used for sure but they're kind of outdated in the sense that like it's not true that all sativas are gonna bring you you know an upbeat elevated you know excited kind of uh mood and that all make you relaxed and sleepy and stimulate your appetite although many of them do and those are their reputations sativa is the up one and indica is the chill one but, and you know, hybrids are supposed to be somewhere in the middle, but the truth is that most cannabis strains out there really are hybrids right now because there's been so much interbreeding and so much, you know, uh, genetics trading going on in the illicit marketplace, you know, for years and years. And so most things are a hybrid. And if something is labeled a sativa, it doesn't necessarily mean it's gonna make you feel energized and upbeat and like working, but it's a better bet to try that first if you're looking for that kind of effect. Then you have to kind of hone in on the, the actual strains that work best for you because our favorite word endocannabinoid system again, <laughs> um, it, 
everyone's varies. Yours is unique, mine is unique. And so the way that we respond to cannabis is gonna be a little different. Um, so not only do we wanna look at the strain and whether it's sativa or indica, upbeat or chill, because those are you know sort of true, but not entirely true. You have to experiment. You also wanna look at the percentage of THC in your flower. Um, these days, THC flower can go all the way up to like 30%, which is really quite a lot. Um, right. Yeah. And then, you know, all the way down you, in the legal marketplace, you'll probably the lowest concentration of THC flower you'll find is like 15% maybe. And that could be hard to find. So in that 15 to 30% range, if you want more of a, more of a focusing and energizing effect, you'd go for a lower THC percentage. If you want more of a, you know, chill on the couch and watch Netflix and eat some ice cream, then you'd want more of that higher THC um, percentage. Um, so there's that. And then there's also terpenes. That's another layer. And terpenes are these aromatic compounds that we find in cannabis. You know, the, all that, all those smells that we get from flowers, you know, earthy, skunky, fruity, right. <laughs> floral, peppery, like there's all kinds of scents. Right. It's not just one smell. <laughs> right. It definitely so, isn't. No. And that's fascinating to, to dive into that terpenes um, conversation and to really explore because terpenes are actually being found to have different effects on people. So some terpenes are associated with that more upbeat feeling and some terpenes are associated with more pain relieving and um, sedative effects and then everything in between. So I do talk about terpenes in my book and how to kind of start decoding them. But the short answer is that you kind of need to do some trial and error to find your best strains because like I said, we're all really pretty different. And you know, there's like starting places and things to work with, but it's not a one size fits all. Like what works for me for relaxation is not necessarily gonna work for you. What's you know the best strain for sex for you might not work for somebody else. So yeah, it's one of those give it a try things. And I love that because I feel so much in life is predetermined, it might feel. So to have another area in life where you have the opportunity to explore something new, I feel like can just open up your just adult experience in another way in my experience. So I find the exploration to be interesting and fun as opposed to daunting. <laughs> Good. Well, I'm glad <laughs> because... It, I think for some people, it can feel a bit daunting, like, oh, my gosh, like walking into a dispensary, what is all the all these products and what do I do with them? Um, but I'm glad you see it as a fun challenge. <laughs> I absolutely see it as a fun challenge. So what I wanted to know is, is there any particular suggestion that you have for starting the conversation with your inner circle, be it friends or family, about your cannabis use in a way that won't basically shock them and make them feel like they need to call the state on you? <laughs> <laughs> I know we're still in that moment, in that like uncomfortable moment where we have to reassure everybody, yes, we're responsible. I, you know, we know what we're doing. But I think that that does go a long way is, you know, being specific about how cannabis helps you, um, you know, especially for wellness purposes, because people tend to be more sort of receptive to it relieves some of my pain or it helps me sleep better or, you know, even it helps me be in a little better mood so that I can parent more consistently, whatever it is. Um, so sharing the ways that it helps you, I think, is important. Um, 
Also, like we talked about prohibition, you can reference how it just really didn't make sense. It wasn't from a public health standpoint. In fact, at the time, you know, at various moments in the cannabis prohibition uh, legislation journey, um, there were even, you know, official reports saying, hey, wait, we probably shouldn't prohibit this. It seems like it's probably a good thing. It seems like it can help people and it's not really as bad as we thought. And yet they still went ahead with this prohibition. So. I think, you know, getting into that history just a little bit, diving into those details to show how, you know, it, it's not because they thought it was dangerous and would harm people. Um, it was, you know, so I think that's helpful. Um, and then really there are some different, I think, tools or strategies for different people. And so in my book, I dedicate a chapter to talking to partners, a chapter to talking to, uh, to kids about cannabis, another chapter about older folks in your life. Because, you know, those conversations might look a little different. Well, they certainly will look different with your kids. <laughs> um, but, you know, the idea being just normalize it. Just talk about how it helps you. And, you know, keep rocking your responsible weed mom self. <laughs> uh <-huh>. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. So you spoke a little bit um, before about um, a dispensary. So... For those that aren't aware, what exactly is a dispensary? And do you have two tips for going to your to a dispensary for the first time? And also, where are they? Ah, okay. Well, we have 17 legal states right now, not all for, for adult use and 36 mm -hmm. for medical use. Um, and so you'll be able to find medical dispensaries in all of those states. You won't necessarily find sales for adult use everywhere that it's legal yet because we're just early in this process, right? And so it's, these are getting set up as we speak. Um, but a dispensary is a legal a storefront for buying cannabis and it should be licensed through the state and they uh, all the products in the dispensary are going to be lab tested for potency and for purity so that they don't have pesticides and junk in it that we don't want in our cannabis um, and dispensaries vary quite a lot through the country there are some that are more like um, pharmacy style where you wait in line and you go up and you talk to the bud tender and you order what you want and then you pay for it and then you leave and there are others that are like, you know, an awesome boutique where you get to just peruse at your leisure and enjoy and smell things. And, um, you know, well, not with COVID protocols, but <laughs> prior right. to that. <laughs> right. Absolutely. So that that's fun. <laughs> but that's okay. okay, tips. So tip, tips really quickly. I would say th think a little bit in advance. Ask yourself some questions about, you know, what, what you're hoping to achieve and how you're comfortable consuming. And then from there, you know, do you want to smoke or vape or take an edible or a tincture or, you know, et cetera. Once you know those two things, then you can go in and start asking some targeted questions to the bud tender, and hopefully they will be knowledgeable <laughs> and can point you in the right direction. My book also has a lot of tips on that. Um, but my, my other advice, piece of advice is always start low and go slow because cannabis is more potent than it used to be. So if it's been a while, you might be surprised. <laughs> uh -huh. Uh -huh. <laughs> and um you just don't want to have a bad experience because moms don't have time for that for one and you know nobody wants to feel bad so if you start low and go slow you're much more likely to have a good first experience absolutely i so appreciate that tidbit right there and so what i wanted to finally get to is 
when you decide that you not just that you don't just want to try, but you actually want to incorporate cannabis into your life. How do you kind of go about picking? Like for me, I just explored. So for me, exploring wasn't something that was difficult. But for the person that's more traditional, um, as far as when you said, you know, start slowly and work from there. Do you have any kind of a starting point? Like should somebody start with, for example, CBD? or start with CBN and then see how that goes and then inch their way into a THC um, exploration or should they just jump right in with two feet or what advice do you have for that? <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I think it, it really does depend on the person. So, you know, okay. and, and what you're looking for too, because um, CBD has its own suite of benefits um, and THC has particular benefits. If you're looking for mood altering or mind altering, you probably do want to go for THC um, because it just has the more potent effects when it comes to that. But if you're looking for pain relief or relief from anxiety or better sleep, then CBD could be the way to go. Um, and I do talk about in the book sort of, you know, different reasons you might be consuming for wellness in particular and, and what you might want to try first. So yeah, it's hard to, to say one thing there, but generally speaking, I'd say just start really, really low with THC and if you're going to use THC. And that could mean literally a single inhalation at first and just wait five minutes, see how that feels. If you're vaping, if you're smoking, whatever, it'll give you pretty immediate feedback. And that'll tell you if you want to take one more puff or not. And, you know, one to three puffs, I think, for your first time is plenty. Um, when we're talking about edibles for THC, I would say somewhere between one milligram and five milligrams um, for the first time is good to start. One milligram will be really low and almost sub-perceptual for some people. Maybe they won't notice it at all, but some people will feel it. Those super sensitive people, you know, want to know that they're sensitive before they go to 10 milligrams or whatever. <laughs> so if you start really low, you know, somewhere between one and five milligrams of THC at first, then um, you're much more likely to enjoy it and have a good experience. Wow, that is so useful to have those strategies. Thank you so much, Danielle, for that. That is amazing. So in closing, my last question is, is there any closing advice or message that you want to leave with the audience? Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> I have things to say, so yes. Um, hey. First of all, responsible cannabis use is 100% compatible with being a good mom and a good partner and you know, doing your best in your work and having a fulfilling life. Honestly, for many of us, it helps. It's not that it just doesn't detract, it, it helps us do all those things. Um, the, the next thing I want to say is if you're a white woman and you like cannabis, then be an ally in this space to your women of color sisters. And there's lots of ways that we can do this. Listening um, about their experiences, right? Um, speaking out against discrimination, uh, supporting um, BIPOC brands and women in the space. Uh, there are also organizations like The Last Prisoner Project and Root and Rebound that are doing really good things for, um, for social justice and cannabis. So I would say that, and I'm not gonna tell you what you should do women of color because I'm not. <laughs> um, but I do believe that we can change the narrative together and I'm an optimist and I want to see you know, more friendships and more communication and cooperation and 
So I think that cannabis is, because it's so new, it's one way that we can like, it's one industry where we can influence it from the get go. So that's how I feel we should work together and be allies as much as we can for one another. Um, and yeah, and, and, and choose who you buy your weed from. That's the other thing. Support brands that are doing things that you, that you personally support, whether it's um, on the environmental or the social equity piece or both, ideally. Absolutely. Oh, so much good advice. So much wisdom. This has been an incredible conversation. Um, I can't end this episode without telling people how they can, you know, either get the book or follow your journey. Um, so how can people find you either on the internet or on social media? Yes, I am at Danielle Simone Brand on Instagram, and that's where I'm most active around the book. Um, the book is available on the big A, which I don't have to say because everybody knows, and um, Barnes and Noble, other places online that you get your books. Um, or you could also ask your local bookstore to carry it, which is a lovely way to support local business as well. That's great. Well, thank you so much for your time, Danielle. This has been like everything to me and i'm so excited for this clap for this collaboration and i just feel like this book is an incredible resource to mothers even if it's something that you decide that isn't for you i just feel like just the different aspects of the wellness piece you know is important information that needs to be shared. So I'm definitely excited about this book being um, passed along, you know, in other communities, especially my community. And I feel like this is a conversation that absolutely needed to be had. And I'm just so thankful for you and your time and for you um, taking time to be on my podcast today. Oh, thank you so much. I had such a great time. You uh, you ask wonderful questions, really thought-provoking, interesting conversation. And I've been learning from you on Clubhouse too. So I'm super stoked that we were able to do this. Absolutely. So again, people, my name is Tasha Ray, and I am the host of Womanhood Decoded, where each week we endeavor to explore the intersections of womanhood, sexuality, and motherhood. And so... Until next time, peace, love, happiness, and how about some THC? Until next time. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs>